marching for freedom or when it's convenient want people to like you want to be accepted that's probably why you are out here protesting no think for a second you don't have incentive is this about you well then what's your intention what's the intention what's the intention hi everyone and welcome back to this week's episode of staying with the trouble i'm so excited to be here today and looking forward to a really engaging conversation with my colleagues my name is Grace. I am coming to you from North Vancouver. I was born and raised here and I'm a fifth generation Canadian. Uh, today in our podcast, we're going to be taking a look at the 2007 film Freedom Writers starring Hilary Swank. And I think we're going to have just a really great time today. Awesome. So my name is Natasha and I'm a second generation mixed race Canadian settler with immigrant parents from Nepal and Armenia. I would just like to acknowledge that today we are recording on the stolen traditional and unceded lands of the Musqueam people. As future teachers, we have the opportunity to work towards reconciliation in our classrooms, aiming to decolonize how we teach and what history we share. I'm hopeful that continued conversations, just like the one you'll be hearing today, can help us all reflect on our privilege and use our power to enact change. Thanks, ladies. Hi, everyone. My name's Julia. Um, I am second-generation Canadian, born and raised in South Surrey, British Columbia. And in today's podcast, we will focus on exploring the white savior complex and the prevalence of the misrepresentation of people of color in the Freedom Writers movie. Hi everyone, I'm Pippa. I'm of British and Irish descent. I've been living in British Columbia for the last eight years now, and I'm a recent permanent resident to Canada. Uh, One of the main themes of our podcast today is the white savior complex. Um, So what this is referring to is the storyline whereby a white person attempts to rescue or help racialized people from their own situation by inserting themselves into their lives, often doing more harm than good. The story is often told in a light that minimizes the problems that these people are facing. All right, let's start off this podcast by taking a look at the cultural representations and assumptions that are made in this film. Right from the beginning of the movie Freedom Writers, we are presented with the knowledge this is going to be a white savior story by drawing us into the tale of Miss Gruel and her troubled relationship with her father. We are set up to feel bad for this woman and made to fall in love with her supportive husband, who they then ultimately take away from her in the film. This is the ideal white American life, a good marriage, a great job, a house, and by framing it in this way, it automatically takes away from the students and the lives that black Americans face, especially within the school system. Why were we not made to fall in love with the black students in the same way that Miss G's life was shown? Why were we not as crushed when Eva had to deal with either telling the truth or protecting her father's gang as when Aaron's husband left her? It's because of these cultural representations that freedom writers completely missed the mark on staying with the trouble um, and instead represented the segregation that is still so present in our school systems. This is a story that heavily stereotypes the lives of black Americans and spotlights the white savior complex that so many Americans have adopted. The first cultural group that is represented in is the white Americans who are shown as the teachers, the academic students, and then we get the one contrasting student in the class, Ben. Ben is a really interesting addition because although he's a white male, a character who normally has a lot of power both in and out of film, he's put in the class with all the minority students and we are made to feel bad for him, especially at the beginning of the film. Ben is honestly quite irrelevant, but is then constantly given fame through media representations and even just in his presence within the film. 
So to start our conversation, I was wondering if any of you have thoughts on how Ben specifically encompasses the assumptions made about white Americans and freedom writers. Well, I notice that Ben definitely serves as a character who benefits from his whiteness, but also within the classroom setting, he uses his whiteness as almost a victim status. In the article, Heroes or Villains, and Stereotyping as a signif Signifying Practice, by Hall, which I will be discussing in more depth later on, he discusses how white people must notice we, we try to slip into another identity and escape being white. So what we do not forget the privilege that comes along with simply being white presenting. This is, this is shown countless times throughout Freedom Writers by Ben trying to join in on the conversations with his black classmates around hardship and in his notion that being in that class is simply beneath him. Why did he get to reap the benefits of the education that Miss G was trying to tailor to her mi minoritized group when he already has so much more privilege than the others in the first place? I couldn't agree more. He seemed to be such a supporting character, which from the extensive studies of plays that I have done, he definitely has all of the characteristics of a supporting character. So why does he get so much prominence? I see this relating so closely to the topic that we are going to engage with in our next week's podcast, Staying with the Trouble, and our examination of the very real segregation that still exists within our school systems. Probably one of the biggest disconnects for me personally with Miss Gruel is that she refuses to even acknowledge her whiteness in the film. This does nothing but propel these cultural assumptions that Americans are actually afraid to sit with their whiteness and this idea that the color divide does not exist, which is only making it worse. We need to engage with this inherited divide and understand, understand this. In Hall's article that you mentioned, Julia, he states that in American society, there is a broad and pervasive division between white people and people of color. And most of us know from a very early age what side we are on, which is not something we can fix overnight. But white teachers, such as Miss G, not even being able to acknowledge her own whiteness or realize what side she is on, makes the systemic issues cut even deeper. As put by Dumas in his article, Losing an Arm, we deny the meaningfulness of everyday suffering by always contrasting it with what we are, admittedly, the most tragic and materially evident forms of social trauma, which is so present in Miss G's denial throughout Freedom Writers. In the film, it's almost comical when she relates her own marital issues to the life or death issues of gang violence that her students are dealing with. I would say for me that that was the epicenter of white privilege coming through. Does anyone else want to comment on the cultural assumptions brought forth by Miss G? Yeah, I would love to jump in here. And, you know, we had such a great conversation before recording about the article from the Affinity magazine, Unpacking the White Savior Complex. And I would really like to bring in some of our points. So I think that we can all agree that Miss Gruel exemplifies the white savior complex in Freedom Writers, especially when her husband and her father keep telling her to quit. She pushes through because she must help her students. This article has a section on volunteerism and the harms that it has on black communities. They define it as an aspect of white saverism that can be estimated as a multi-billion dollar industry where many volunteer placement companies market themselves as helpful, sustainable, or crucial to the betterment of low-income countries. Um, actually, We Day and the We organization really reminds me of this statement. And yeah, this is so harmful because it neglects to acknowledge the power and privilege that is present in even being able to do this work. This harm is demonstrated by Ms. Gruel. She thinks she is crucial to saving the lives of these black students, 
so much so that she fights to be with them for their whole high school experience because no one else could possibly help them in the way that she can. She never once acknowledges her own privilege or the power that she is exerting and realistically is not doing a single thing to help her students who are stuck in gang violence, poverty, foster care, and other deeply systemic issues. We can never desegregate our schools until we as teachers become brave enough to do the work ourselves and not grant ourselves these savior titles. Thank you so much for bringing up these points. Uh, you have also segued us nicely into examining the more prominent cultural assumptions that are made in this film. And that's of course about the black American students. Freedom Writers tries to engage with the lives of black American students growing up in impoverished neighborhoods and the effect it has on their education, as well as the prejudice that they face in white schools. Immediately off the bat, we are told that um, they are all grouped together for being dumb. And the one black student who made it to the honors English class is an anomaly for her determination. What is missed is that these students are not intellectually lesser than the white students. They just do not have the privilege to only be able to focus on school. The cultural assumptions that are made in this film are that seemingly all black students belong to gangs and are involved in the ghetto. The black English class gets a tokenized white student who does not suffer from the same problems that they do, but the honors class's tokenized black student is overly celebrated for her accomplishment because it's so shocking. Why is every single black student involved, not only involved in racial trauma, but also home life trauma as is what represented in the film? Dumas's article engages with the idea that students suffer a kind of malaise resulting from a growing consciousness that what they are promised is an educational opportunity is unlikely to lead to a greater social or educational mobility, which is confronted very openly in Freedom Writers. These students' um, lack of school motivation is not from their lack of understanding, but rather they cannot see it, helping them to escape their gang lives of gun and, guns and death. The cultural assumptions made about black American students in the film are harmful to black students who may be watching who do not face these same issues. But there's no other representation of how a black student's outside of school life may be. I know you'll be speaking more about it later on, Pippa, as this really interested in you in the, uh, in the movie. But do, you, um, do these assumptions seem to come from the perspective of a cultural insider or outsider? And what does this piece tell us about the worldview of its authors? Yeah, it's very interesting to see who is being racialized and more importantly, how in this film. So stereotyping is very prominent in the Freedom Writers, which largely contributes to the harm in this movie. Stereotyping occurs when there is a large power imbalance and one party has the ability to make assumptions about a group of people within a different schema than their own. Natasha and I were speaking after watching this film and we both agreed that it was very clear that this was written from the person who has power to stereotype, which is a white American male. This author has the privilege to not have to consider the trauma that, these, that school can cause and doesn't see it as a site of harm, which we engage with a lot in our podcast next week. The writer for the Freedom Writers is a cultural outsider to the group he is minoritizing in the film, which is why a lot of the underlying messages of racism and segregation went unnoticed. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's, it's a pretty big choice to write a film about something you have not experienced yourself, which I also think is 100% applicable to teaching. If you're going to teach experiences and concepts that are not your own, which we need to do, then we have to do the extra work to understand these experiences and concepts. We cannot just pretend we have a different identity or assume our cultural ideas are correct. We all notice whiteness and it is not useful or beneficial to say that we don't. 
We need to confront it and use it as a tool. This is the very difference between equity and equality. We need to stay with the trouble and acknowledge that racism is present and instead learn to work through it in an equitable way. Films like Freedom Writers with such enormous cultural divides and such extensive stereotyping reinforce that people of color cannot be anything but white in predominantly white places. Miss Gruel doesn't try to reach black students. She tries to teach black students to be white. Natasha, I think your interest in how whiteness and other are presented in this film really tie into this. So I'm just wondering, what are your thoughts? Awesome. Thanks for discussing your first points there, Grace. So The Freedom Writers was directed and written by Richard Lagrevenis, a white male screenwriter from New York. As such, the movie was pre presented through his lens and life experience, kind of as you were mentioning earlier. And this was incredibly visible in the assumptions presented for the students of color, the teachers, and other white adults in the film. This white male gaze was controlling this whole movie and it had a huge impact on the way the audience viewed it. The students in this film were presented and portrayed as if they were dangerous criminals. Right from the beginning scenes of the movie where they showed the LA riots, they were shown violently and the audience was building this image of the grim representation of the students of color even before they, would, they met them in the film. The movie then moves into reporting how these students never come to class, don't care about school, and are in need of help if they want to graduate. This stereotypical portrayal, however, is quite common. As seen quoted from the article, race, gender, Hollywood, representation in cultural production and digital media's potential for change by Marion Ariga, which states, in popular films, African-Americans were typed to play roles that exhibited ghetto behavior or linked to ties with their inner communities. That's a great quote. I think that the parallel between the way the honors program was depicted in the movie versus in the Losing an Arm article by Dumas really highlights the bias of the movie and the assumptions of the audience. In the Dumas article, the continued racial segregation through the honors program was seen as a continued site of suffering for black students. It represented black students as eager to join the program, but kept out by administration. In the movie, however, there was no focus on the suffering felt by the students of color. The movie made you believe that you should be worried for the one white student in Miss G's class. And by the end of the movie, you were supposed to feel happy that the one black student that fought to be in the honors program was transferred into Miss G's class. Yeah, that's a really powerful opposing parallel to point out. Thinking now about how the adults in the film most of the main characters in the story were all white. And of course, the main character, Miss Gruel, was portrayed as the hero of the story, the white savior, the teacher that every school needs. This, of course, wouldn't have been as powerful without first villainizing the parents of the students, a criminal, a mother that kicked her son out, a family on trial. This movie leaves you no time to think about the tragedies of these families and the experiences of injustice caused by white supremacy. It instead presents Miss Gruel with the perfect opportunity to step in as a savior teacher and now a savior mother to these students in need. And in the article, Why Hollywood's White Savior Obsession is an Extension of Colonialism by Fariha Rosen, it talks about how Hollywood films like The Freedom Writers, and I'm quoting, perpetuate an idea that is essentially a historical banner of colonialism. People of color need white people to save them. And I wanna be clear though, I don't think that Ms. Gruel did everything wrong. 
She evidently helped these students, but in doing so, she compromised her entire life. And in telling this story, Hollywood gave a platform to another white savior story. And this movie also reinforced the incorrect role of a teacher with no boundaries. Yeah, that's a really good point, Natasha. It isn't so much a problem with the story itself, but the way that Hollywood told it and the assumptions they created for the audience. I think the bias created from the movie posters really, really reinforces these stereotypes and assumptions of the students of color in this film and presented Miss G as the white savior. In almost every poster, Miss G was presented as this strong godlike figure amongst her students. She was represented in a position of power, either standing up while the students were sitting or shown larger than the other characters in the images. The Heroes or Villains article discusses the symbolic representation of power and its dangers. And two quotes that stood out were, quote, power operates in conditions of unequal relations and stereotyping is a key element in the exercise of symbolic violence, end quote. Yeah, thanks for sharing those quotes. Power can also be found within the assumptions about the meaning of education throughout the movie. The movie displayed two assumptions about school and education. A system with students, white students, that were academically focused and deserving of a good education. And in parallel, a system of the other excluded students of color who probably won't even graduate and are therefore less deserving of an education. In the article, Learning About Teachers Through Film, it talks about constant theme in movies where the good teacher is pitted against the bad administrative body. And there's a quote in that article that says, the theme of good versus evil in most films pits the teacher against narrow-minded administrators or parents. And this was totally present. There was that one scene where Miss Grell wanted to find books for her students, but of course the villainous principal denied it, deeming her students undeserving. The administration also focused on the happy affect of the school environment. You know, millions, we have millions of students, we just need to get them through the system every year, so we might as well make it as easy as possible. The administration prevented the teachers from talking to the students about race or trauma or watching, you know, or even discussing watching their friend getting shot and having to participate in the trial. Yeah, I thought that the school and Miss G really missed the concept of staying with the trouble by making kin from the article How to Be Less Deadly. Miss G was only focused on treating the students the same and getting them away from their hard lives. A major moment in the movie was when she divided the class with the tape line to show the students how similar they actually were to each other. She wanted them to be happy and feel safe in her classroom, but she didn't once talk about race or racism or the injustices that they have experienced in life and in school. A powerful quote from the Rethinking Schools article reads, the parents' struggles and the way in which their lives are also held down by structures of race and class are not part of the story. Amazing thought-provoking conversations, ladies. Grace, that last point you brought up about how the kids were divided in the classroom really made me think back to the article Villains and Heroes and Stereotyping a Signifying Practice by Stuart Hill. This article really made me reflect on both the meaning and process of typing and stereotyping and how dangerous the latter is on how we function as a society. Typing is an actually a natural process we as humans deploy to categorize, making sense of things and drawing conclusions. We assign memberships to groups, but how we initially categorize isn't always correct. 
In social typing, however, we work to reassign to the correct group. Alternatively, stereotyping is a very rigid practice, which, as Stuart Hall explains, reduces people to a few simple essential characteristics that are represented as fixed by nature. So it fixes differences. It deploys a strategy of splitting and divides normal and acceptable from abnormal and unacceptable, and then excludes and expels everything that does not fit anything that is different. Hmm. That's such a powerful description and so evident throughout the Freedom Writers film. As previously mentioned in our conversations and apparent throughout film history, the producer of Freedom Writers casts actors of color in their stereotypical roles as the criminals and gangsters from a lower socioeconomic status who struggle with this violence and poverty and are deemed overall hopeless and irredeemable by society. Also in line with the typical casting of teacher movies, the teachers played by a young white female from a middle-class neighborhood living a fairly average, respectable life. This casting alone speaks to the stereotypical divide and it immediately constructs otherness, highlights their differences and establishes what's normal versus abnormal. You're so right, Grace. And it's, it's just so clear in the movie that white is treated as norm and the students of color are treated as other in, needing, in need of reforming. Um, this divide is also so evident in the way the school divided students into classes where in the freshman English class, it was composed of students of color, with the exception of the one white student that was deemed a lost cause and needed to be separated from the rest of the students. Yeah, and the, the movie really focused on pointing out the knowledge difference between the students as well. When Ms. Gurel asks if anyone had heard of the Holocaust, only Ben, the white student, raises his hand. She decides then that her whole novel study will be based on that. However, when she asks the students if they know anyone who has been shot and the majority of the class raises their hand, she makes no curricular adjustments and she doesn't even address it further. Thanks, Natasha, for reminding us of that blatant use of stereotypical behavior in that scene. Stereotyping can be further exemplified by the absence of characters as well. There's a stark absence of any Black or Latino adults in the Freedom Writers film. It lacks characters that represent any successful or, or admirable minorities. In fact, there really aren't any character, characters that portray a successful or admirable minority group at all. You're so right. And this is true for the students as well. With the exception of that one token black student who is deemed mistakenly placed in the honors program, there are no black children that are portrayed in a positive light, such as being smart, studious, powerful, stable, etc. Oppositely, no white students, except for that one boy, Ben, are reduced to troubled classrooms. Even then, Ben seems to stand apart from the rest of the class, both academically and socially. He does not seem to be a part of it or affected by the same violence and criminal activity that the rest of the students of color in the class are. Yeah, definitely. And the whole movie, the whole underrepresentation of students of color performing well and being smart, it's not even proportional to how schools actually function. In the article by the Rethinking Schools article, it says that how there are plenty of savior teachers of color and plenty of students that are saving themselves, but they just don't have movies made about them. So again, we come back to this idea that Hollywood is choosing to highlight the white teacher of the white savior teacher. 
Right, Natasha. Besides some of the reasons we've already noted about confining actors of color to the stereotypical roles, this article explores some other alternatives as to the absence of black adults in films that are definite, definitely discussion worthy. From Chelo Delgado's perspective, their absence can be attributed to that that adults of colors do not conjure up the same emotion that a white savior breaking through racism does, or a multicultural youth struggling through hardship and finding success. That's a really good point. The the film really leaves no room for the larger discussion of structural racism. And there's no presence or empathy for adults facing these inequalities in the film. And I think you're right. The audience loves a good story of the villain and the hero. And they pity the children that are born to unfortunate situations. And the audience basically leaves this film feeling good that the white savior is doing something to make it right, even if it is just a film. This is really another example that filmmakers aren't concerned with addressing racism or helping troubled teens. They're really just concerned with exploiting dysfunction through exciting Hollywood dramas designed to make money by drawing in an audience to a film framed around what they want to see. Sadly, these underrepresented cast choices further exacerbate stereotypes and racism within our schools and society at large. It's scary how media has the power to influence our perceptions, whether we recognize it or not. Films such as Freedom Writers and Dangerous Minds work to culturally divide us instead of making kin. Thanks, Julia. To build off what you were discussing in terms of who's present, absent, and other, um, I just want to look at who the white characters are, who the racialized characters are, and who the film is ultimately about. So put simply, whose story is being told and how does that affect who the audience empathizes with? And this is the theme that we've been discussing this entire time. Um, And I wanted to start this off by reading you a short quote from Marion Ariga's article, Race, Gender, Hollywood, Representation in Cultural Production and Digital Media's Potential for Change. Um, As I think this quote really helps us look critically at the the film. Mm -hmm. So it says... In addition to numerical representation, quality of representation also matters. Quality of representation includes the kinds of roles that groups occupy on screen. And that's the end of the quote. Um, So when we look at the numerical representation of the Freedom Riders, we see many minority groups represented on screen. There are Black, Asian, Hispanic characters present. We also see the film has a female playing the lead. So in terms of numerical representation, the film seems to be doing pretty well. However, when we look at the quality of the representation, the representation is really poor. So the main character in the film, Mrs. G, is a white, young, beautiful woman. Her character ticks so many boxes in terms of gender stereotypes. She's a very stereotypical married woman. And this brought me to ask the question, what is even the purpose of this whole side story revolving around her marriage? Yeah, I actually asked myself the same question while watching the film. And I wonder... Uh, is it simply to mold Miss G into a simple, vivid, and easily grasped character, as Hall puts in her article, Heroes or Villains? God forbid an unmarried single woman be spending her life doing anything other than looking for a man or looking after a man. I think the sideline is really created to make Miss G fit into society's ideal image of what a woman should be to get the audience to empathize with her even more. What is worse is that as the film progresses and Miss G starts working a second job and dedicating more and more time to her students, the audience is led to sympathize with her poor, neglected husband. Yes, exactly. And it gets even worse because at the end of the film, her husband divorces her essentially for having a passion and working hard. 
And um, I feel that the story just normalizes the fact that a woman's primary role is to be what their husband wants them to be. And this romantic sideline story is something that we see time and time again in films with a female lead. It's as if Hollywood cannot have a storyline where the audience is not aware of what this woman's relation to a man is. And this really takes away from the real purpose of the story, which in this case is um, in this case of the Freedom Riders should be the suffering of the students and the blatant racism that creates it. And I think this really comes back to the white savior storyline that is portrayed throughout the film that we keep coming back to. And the white savior story storyline just eclipses the real story behind what is happening in these students' lives. And this is addressed in the beginning of the film when it briefly references the LA riots, but doesn't do anything to explain what they were. The You could go through this, this watching this film without having any idea what's going on, but the LA riots were basically only used to depict how violent the area was, how rough the students were. Um, and this was basically used to further our empathy that we felt for Mrs. G and praise her for her bravery. Natasha mentioned this earlier as well. But the actual stories of the Black, Hispanic and Asian students are completely sidelined and actually not sidelined, but ignored. So going back to um, Arian Arigna's article and questioning the quality of the representation of racialized people and their stories, it's completely clear that their stories are not being told in the Freedom Writers. Absolutely, Peppa. It's really absurd that the film does nothing to explain the LA riots. This occurred to me as I, as I was watching it. If the audience does not have basic understanding of what happened in LA in the 90s, they would come away from this film with a completely false narrative. So just to give you a little background, the 1992 Los Angeles riots began in South Central Los Angeles on April 29th after a jury acquitted four police officers that had been charged with using excessive force in the arrest of Rodney King. I will add as well that there is footage of this example of police brutality and their 15-minute assault on Rodney King. Though this is one, this is but one of thousands of cases of extreme police brutality against against people of color. It sparked a revolt in LA. Thousands of people took to the street to express their anger towards the blatantly racist system that they were up against. The U.S. responded to the situation by deploying the military to end the violence. 63 people were killed, almost 3,000 were injured, and more than 12,000 arrested. This is an extremely important aspect to, to understanding the lives of the realized students in the film. But again, it was totally ignored except for the intro. Yeah, it's it's so upsetting that the director chose not to make this um, this history a part of the storyline at all. And this brings me back to another quote from Amanda Machado's article, Four Ways Americans Are Taught the White Savior Complex and What We Can Do About It. So the quote says, Western countries cannot always understand the complexity and nuance of people on the out on the outside cannot connect the dots or see the patterns of power behind the isolated disasters, end quote. So the assault on Rodney King in 1992 was now almost 30 years ago, yet, brut yet police brutality towards Black people is still a huge problem in our society. And we can see this in the, the murders of George Floyd and Trevon Martin, Ahmad Arbery and Breonna Taylor, and the list goes on and on. Um, and we have to start connecting the dots and understanding that these are not isolated events or isolated tragedies. So we ask ourselves again, whose story is being told and why? 
And it just becomes overwhelmingly clear that the white savior story minimizes the pain, the hopelessness that is being felt by these by these people. Um, so, yeah, in the Freedom Writers, the audience gets a small glance at the students' struggles and their difficult lives. But this barely grazes the surface. And the feel-good happy ending almost suggests that the suffering and the problems that these students face can simply be fixed by one young lady's brave efforts. Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought that ending up because this happy ending is the film's ignorance to address the systemic racism and injustices that the students are facing. And this is all part of the concept of the happy affect. And we we do a deep dive into this topic in our episode next week. So definitely stay tuned for that. But this happy ending that the Freedom Writers have it really distances the audience from the overarching systemic problems in society and in our education system. The movie makes Miss Grell's class of students seem like some isolated event, one that she was able, she was easily able to save. And as a group of teacher candidates, I think we can do better. And it's our job to change this. We need to stay in the trouble. We need to acknowledge that racism is present in our schools and in our society. And only then can we move forward towards justice. Yeah, thank you, Natasha. And thank you, everyone. There's so much food for thought from just looking at this one film. Um, And as you say, Natasha, as teacher candidates, it's really important that we reflect on the film and everything going on around us and be the change that needs to happen in education. As always, thanks for staying in the trouble with us. And we will see you next week. A lot of opinions, a lot of confusion, a lot of resentment. Some of us scared. Some of us defensive, and most of us aren't even paying attention. It seems like we're more concerned with being called racist than we actually are with racism. I've heard that silence is an action, and God knows that I've been passive. What if I actually read an article, actually had a dialogue, actually looked at myself, actually got involved? If I'm aware of my privilege and do nothing at all.